I woke up in the morning and the top bunk was empty and there was a note that said she couldn't do it anymore and she loved us but she had to go and then she was out of my life we're supposed to damn them to hell give them up ruin any photographs that we had of them burn them my parents kept them so I could still look at photographs and remember those times in our lives that have been like super happy while living in a world that told you that you had to shun and forget and excommunicate, ostracize your family. Hi, I'm Megan McChesney. You're listening to The Lip a podcast of extraordinary true stories, and the woman you've just heard is Lilia Tarawa. Lilia grew up in the religious cult of Gloria Vale, which is tucked away in the wilds of the South Island's west coast. The way Lilia talks about Gloria Vale sounds to me like a utopia and a dystopia, all in one beautiful package. She describes it as a place of breathtaking beauty that sprawls for miles with lush farmland and forests, valleys, rivers, mountains, and a lake that sparkles like polished glass. The 550 people who live there are surrounded by the people they love and they want for nothing. The community has a number of impressively successful businesses, including dairy and venison farms, sphagnum moss exporting, and an adventure hunting business, to name but a few. But there's a shadow side to all of this. When you live in Gloria Vale, the church tells you how to live, and even who you will marry. If you're a woman, you will be denied contraception and will therefore have at least 10 babies. You will obey all the men, never express an opinion to a man, or do anything other than raise your children and perform domestic chores. You will wear the same full-length style of dress your whole life, and you will leave the compound only very occasionally to go to the dentist or maybe get glasses fitted. So the question is, are the good things about living in this community worth trading your freedom for? This is Lilia's story in which she talks about her idyllic childhood in the cult and how she grew into a young woman who couldn't take it anymore. My grandfather is Neville Cooper and in Australia they called him the flying evangelist because he would take his plane and fly to remote areas of Australia and witness the gospel to people. In the late 1960s, Neville came to New Zealand and established a church. Everyone had separate houses at the beginning, everyone wore what clothes they wanted and everyone earned their own wage. But then they started to think, how can we actually live together as one? How can we utilize all our abilities and how can we actually eradicate poverty? Why don't we like try and love one another more? Why don't we hold more things in common? So they started to pull their businesses together and they started to live on a single piece of land. And then they moved to Gloria Vale over to the west coast when I was just a baby. They bought two farms. It's a gigantic property it runs into the base of the foothills of the southern alps it's like the most beautiful place in the world it's stunning and to lilia growing up in this place really was heaven on earth 
I really loved my childhood. I had so many friends. Like, and we lived in such close quarters. So we lived in hostels. These big hostels, they had three floors. We had a big main lounge room on each floor. And then bedrooms around the edges of each floor. And each family would live in one bedroom. So, you know, my cousins were like just across the lounge kind of thing. And um, I had so many friends that I would play with. I'd go to school with them. I'd go to preschool with them. I'd work with them. And I did everything, like every part of your life is lived with these people that you know so well. Um, So I had a ton of fun. Used to go earling all the time, bareback riding with my brother. Um, I just remember clinging to my brother and screaming because he's always taking risks and he was jumping logs with his horse. I just loved it. Like I felt pure happiness in that moment as well as pure terror because I thought I might fall off and die. (laughs) But it was fun. And I played music. I played um, ukulele, recorder, bass recorder, violin, flute. And I learned to sew and knit and cook. So when you hear that, you're like, oh, this girl has like a super full life. And I feel like it did. Lilia was born in 1990, the third of 10 children. Sarah, Sam, Vic, Gloriana, Asher, Judah, Serena, Melody, Ariel, and I'm in there third from the top. And she had literally hundreds of cousins. Many of them were like siblings too. The community was led by her grandfather and a circle of around 20 male leaders who were called servants and shepherds. And as a child, she really wasn't aware of it, but it was changing. What started out as a very loving and inclusive group of people living together and sharing the same values had started to evolve into something very controlling with stricter and stricter rules. They started changing their names because they thought, well, we want something that's going to inspire us. So let's start calling ourselves things that inspire us on a daily basis. So they thought, you know, love, hope, faith, that these are Christian values that we would love to promote within our society. So everyone started changing their names. Um, My grandfather changed his name from Neville Cooper to Hopeful Christian because he felt that Hopeful Christian fit more with who he was. My parents had been resistant to the name change campaign that had swept through the church. And... Then Hopeful went to my father and said, you're living in rebellion and you need to change your name. Everyone else is doing it. So dad chose Just to be our surname. So I became Lilia Just. Fellow members of the community took surnames like Stand True, Disciple, Overcomer, Righteous, and first names like Loyal, Fervent, and Trusty. Lilia's family kept their original first names, justifying that they were already from the Bible or at least in some way connected to Christianity. Other changes to the way the community lived were also introduced. Don't flaunt yourself. Be humble, be meek. And they wanted their clothes to be a reflection of that and they wanted to eradicate vanity and competition between men and women so 
My grandfather said, okay, I'll design a dress. All you women need to wear this dress. And um, for the men, we'll design pants and shirts. And then we'll all look the same and we won't be competing with each other or trying to be vain. So my whole life, I wore a blue dress. It was a frock. It had a skirt that went right down to my ankles. It had sleeves that went right down to my wrists. The neckline was right up to my neck, so I had to be completely modest. And there was no room for me to show any flesh to any of the men because Gloraval believed that women shouldn't be a stumbling block for their Christian brothers who might start lusting after them in their hearts. And I wore a white head covering. Um, my dress had a bib and it had a, a frill on it that was piped with um, white and it was gathered in at the waist and attached to a belt which then tied behind my waist and I wore that every day of my life. We're told that outside of Gloraval the world is living in sin, um, people are living in fornication, adultery, there's crime, murder, drugs and alcohol so that we felt like we were super super privileged to be there like you'd be like actually I'm so grateful that the leaders have created this place for me to live in because the outside world's just full of sin so I'm living in paradise here in Gloravale and as a child it kind of was what Lilia didn't appreciate until much later was that somewhere along the way perhaps even before she was born Gloria Vale had morphed into a cult my grandfather was the leader and his word was the word of God. Um, we used to be told that God held him in the palm of his hand and that God spoke through him. Even though the people say we don't believe we're a cult, interestingly enough they are a cult because they do follow one man that is the voice of God. There were other ways that Gloria Vale began to fit into accepted definitions of a cult, like punishing anyone who criticised the leaders, demanding nothing less than blind loyalty, dishonouring the family unit, isolating its members and ostracising them if they left. If you choose to leave Gloria Vale, you're shunned, you're excommunicated because you're living in rebellion and sin and you're taken with the devil. What we were taught is that we had to reject them and hold no love for them in our hearts and know that they chose Satan over us. I know a lot of families will actually destroy the photographs of people who leave. With each radical change, some members who wanted to retain their independence packed up their families and left. The ones who remained accepted the new rules and also the punishment if they transgressed. Wearing sunglasses, um, rolling your sleeves up. The boys, if they wore trousers, if they wore them a bit too low, um, because that's where it was comfortable, like that's rebellion. If you're a boy talking about girls, like saying, oh, like I think she's pretty, or like I'm quite into her, rebellion. Um, listening to music, which is not allowed by the community, that's a rebellion as well. You need a curb and submit, obey, repent, confess to us your sins and then live according to what the church says. We left Gloria Vale some days if we needed things like optometry care or dental care or doctor's appointments. I remember going into Greymouth and visiting the optometrist there and it was just this 
whole crazy experience for me because I was like, oh, this is so exciting. And I'm going to this office and there's this man there that checks my eyes and then I get to choose these things that I put on my face that help me to see better. And it was quite an exciting experience. You're kind of like, wow, this world's so different to the world that we have in Gloryvale. So it's fascinating to see something different to your reality. I didn't feel fear when I visited the outside world at all. The leaders specifically teach you about things that are wrong. Women wearing pants is wrong. Women with no head coverings is wrong. Women with short hair, with jewellery, with makeup, that's all wrong. So you go outside of Gloryvale and you see women like this, you look on them with pity because you feel like, oh, that's so lost. As a child in Gloryvale, I thought my whole life would be lived there. I was born there, I would go to school there, I would work in the women's realm, the domestic realm there, I would get baptised, I would make my commitment vow to the church. God would choose a husband for me, and he would tell the leaders who would then tell me who my husband was. And then my husband would come to me and propose to me with a bouquet of flowers, and... I would, of course, say yes, because it was God's will. I would have up to probably 10 or 13 children, and I would raise those children, and then they would live the same life that I had lived, and I would die surrounded by grandchildren and family who love me and have the same values as me. It doesn't sound too bad, does it? You've been surrounded by people you love and who value the same things as you. One of Lilia's first memories of discord at the community was as a five-year-old. Everyone was eating a meal together, as they always did. There was this shouting that started happening and people started flooding through the kitchen and outside and I was just swept up in this flurry of skirts and trousers and I ended up outside and then there was this car parked outside and there was a man standing on top of the car and he had blonde hair and he was screaming and yelling and he was yelling things like, I, I have a right to see my daughter. You can't keep her from me. And I didn't know who this man was, but it was just a really terrible situation. And then the, the leaders of the church were yelling back at him. And then the next thing I knew, he was being knocked to the ground. And I learned later that this man was actually my Uncle Phil, who'd left Gloria Vale a while ago. And he'd taken all of his children and he'd taken his wife. She'd gone out with him and then she'd said to him, I can't do this, Gloria Vale's the one true church, I have to live there. So she'd gone back into Gloria Vale, but she hadn't told him she was pregnant. And she was pregnant with my cousin Cherish. And the pregnancy, the leaders and her had conspired to keep the pregnancy a secret from Phil. So he didn't even know he had a child in Gloria Vale. And he'd found out and come into Gloria Vale that day to actually have access to his child. He ended up having to leave without seeing his daughter he'd never met. Something Lilia realised in adulthood was simply wrong. But she was just five, and it would be a long time before she began to question the leaders herself. It was soon after this incident that she got her first taste of what it meant to break the rules. 
I just started going to school. It was my first school report in Gloryvale. And getting a good report in Gloryvale is very important because the school reports get read out at the dinner table in front of 550 people because we all dined together and ate together. And I was so excited. You know, I'm a child. This is one of my first big achievements in my life. And the night before, I'd found out that I had a really good report. And mum had praised me. She said, oh, I'm so proud of you. So we're at the dinner table. My grandfather is reading the reports out over the speaker system. And he gets to this place in the report where my school teacher had written, Lilia shows leadership qualities which could be useful if steered in the right direction. And he stops. And then I was like, why is he stopping? And then he just started saying, we don't want women like you. We don't want women who are bossy and independent. We don't want to be raising women who are leaders. You know, a woman's job is to submit to the men. And I'm devastated. I'm like so humiliated. And I just stare down at the white plastic tablecloth. I go bright red and I'm like wanting to cry and I feel sick to the stomach. And then for an hour... He keeps going, he talks about the women's feminist movement, he talks about women having the right to vote, and he talks about how this is all against the will of God, and totally just puts me down in front of all my friends, in front of all my family, for something that I thought was a good thing. It was the first time that I really understood exactly what the role of a woman was, and exactly how I was expected to behave within my society. As the years went by, a kind of awakening happened in Lilia that no amount of indoctrination seemed to cure. Quite young, I started to have rebellious feelings because there were things that were happening that I just, my intuition told me was wrong. I witnessed one of the leaders belting his son with a leather strap in front of the whole school. And I just, it made me sick to my stomach and I couldn't watch and I remember just staring down at the groove in my school desk and I couldn't watch this appalling scene in front of me where he was just beating his son with a strap and he'd told his son to pull his pants down and I was just like this is a high school student and you are sending him a very strong message of shame and humiliation if he does not obey you and do what you tell him to do so that's a pretty powerful message for all the other children watching. I started to feel suffocated by quite a few things. The fact that I was not allowed to identify as being Māori was appalling to me. The church says all men are equal, no man should be above another. We shouldn't be identifying um, as certain labels. They called together this meeting and one of the leaders stood up and he was like, we shouldn't be identifying as being Māori. And then he points to me and he says, Lilia, what do you identify as? And he was pretty pretty much asking me to say I'm not Māori. I identify as only being a child of Gloria Vale. And I didn't say anything. I wouldn't answer him because I am a Māori. Like, I can see it. I have a darker colour skin. I have dark features, like I am of Māori descent, my father is Māori. I'm also a female, are you wanting me to say that I'm no longer a female? So I was just outraged, I felt again shocked and humiliated about something that was a part of who I am. While Lilia was desperately trying to hold on to who she was, she had a kindred spirit, 
a friend called Grace. Grace did not fit into the box at Gloryvale whatsoever. Her family came in because they wanted to study what intentional community was like. And she was this little short Mexican girl that spoke in a different language. And I just thought, I'm going to be friends with this girl. She gives me good vibes. And maybe I can learn something from her. Breaking all the rules you know. It feels good to be the one To finally break and say it Alright, make it alright Though it ain't true, we'll say it Alright, make it alright So, she was only there for a little while and then her family left because her father felt that the leader's rules were too claustrophobic and they were trying to be too controlling. So I lost this girl and I thought, oh, I was best friends with her. And I was really sad she'd left, but then she came back because she was sent back by her parents to reform her naughty behavior. And we were tight, like we were two peas in a pod. We did everything together. And she would tell me these stories of how she wore pants and how she wore a leather jacket and how she would cut her hair and wear makeup and drink beer and kiss boys and like go hitchhiking across the country in the snow. And she, she told me in Canada that they like had these maple trees and they would have these seasons where the snow was so deep it would come up to the top of the houses and that they would tap into maple trees to get maple syrup and all these stories she told me that made me imagine and envision a world that was nothing like my world. And I thought I would like to have those experiences, but I'll never be able to because I live at Gloria Vale. But it still made me imagine a reality that was different to mine. And so Grace brought in some music. She kept it hidden in her box of contraband, which she dug into the ground and hid from the leaders. Um, so she introduced me to quite a lot of music. Kenny Chesney, Beyonce, uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Shania Twain. We loved Shania Twain. She was worldly and nothing like any of the women that I'd ever seen before. It was so naughty. She was a little rebel and thank God, thank God for her. One day, Grace and Lilia were listening to music. It was um, actually hymns and it was Stephen Curtis Chapman, you know, beautiful music, just simple music, but forbidden to us. And this one day she was listening to music with me and we had this tape recorded there and then we got discovered. We got in such big trouble for it. Um, she got cursed for it, growled at, told she was taken with the devil, she was trying to influence me for wrong. And like it was the simplest thing. We just wanted to listen to beautiful music, but we weren't allowed to. How is that okay? How is it okay that a church is able to control what you can and can't listen to as a human being? How is it okay that a church can take away your freedom of choice? She'd started to push boundaries in other ways too. So we had no TV, no radio, no print media. If something was happening in the outside world the leaders wanted us to know about, they would take clippings from the newspaper or they would take the, that TV program and they would show us, but they would edit it 
to make sure that we didn't get any bad influences coming in from the outside world. So to me, knowledge was power. When I started reading books, I became obsessed because it was my only access to what was like an unknown world for me. I could learn about the world that I had no clue about. So they have a small library and you are allowed to read all the books in their library. Um, so I became obsessed with reading encyclopedias. I love them. I'd go to any length. I'd climb up the shelves and the shelves are really high. They're like two story high shelves. And I would climb up little Lilia scrambling up the shelves just to access these books at the very top that I could read because I was so hungry and I just wanted to know about the world. I wanted to know about this place. One day, Lilia was taken with a group of girls into the town of Greymouth for dental checks. Afterwards, they needed to wait for one of the adults who was still doing the shopping and so they were taken to the public library. It didn't take her long to find the romance section, with books very different from the ones in the Gloria Vale library. I loved it, like I felt really at home. Um, and I wanted to read these books because they looked so exciting. So I picked one up and I sat on the beanbag in the corner and I just started reading. And then I heard, oh, hey, we've got to go now. And I was so torn because I hadn't finished my book and I wanted to know what happened in the end. His name was Darian and he had a lover, but she was of a family of really high rank and he didn't know if they could be together. And he was a sailor, like an explorer. And I just thought, take the book. Like, take it from the library. You need this. And so... I'd almost without thinking just like put it inside my jacket and then ran out of the library. A lot of the girls were sleeping on the drive home and I was just like hugging this book to my chest wrapped in my jacket. So fearful that I would be discovered and the minute I got home I hid it in the back of my drawer and then every spare minute I could find I would read this book and it was totally forbidden by Gloria. I knew if I was discovered that there would be consequences. I would have most probably have been taken before a leaders meeting and publicly humiliated and shamed in front of my friends and family again. So often if someone's been living in rebellion or done something like this, they'll get marched up on the stage in front of everybody uh, at the meal table made to face the wall in humiliation for the entire time of the meal table. And then my brother found me reading this book. And he told mum, so mum came to me and she told me, she was like, why have you done this? can't believe you've done this. And I thought she was going to tell the leaders, I thought I would get in trouble for it. And I waited and waited for them to come and take me and put me on the stage or take me into the leaders council and tell me that I had to repent and ask for forgiveness and fall on my knees and confess my sins. But it never happened. And what I later learned from my mum is that she'd taken the book and returned it to the library and she'd not told anyone because she didn't want me to be humiliated or punished. When Lilia was 11, the bottom fell out of her world. So my eldest sibling was struggling with the rules because they're so tight. What my eldest sibling had been doing was asking one of the other people who'd left Glory Vale and then returned what it was like on the outside world. And this was a very, very bad thing to do because you shouldn't be thinking of going to the outside world or even wanting to know about it. So she was being taken before leaders' meetings and 
it really was defeating her spirit because it is psychological, emotional and mental abuse that you receive from the leaders. Then one day I woke up in the morning and the top bunk was empty and there was a note left on my mother's dresser that said she couldn't do it anymore and she loved us but she had to go. And then she was out of my life. Calling it quits I think this is easy I swear I heard Calling the jury Call it a catch Without any strings attached I'm looking I was devastated And it was just like our family wasn't a family anymore. We grew up together, did everything together. You try not to feel humiliated because everyone's now looking at your family with a sense of shame. And you kind of just have to get on with life and give those people up in your heart because they've made their choices. We were told we had to, but somehow, like, you can't get rid of love you have for people. So, you just hide it away and hope that no one will ever find out. We're supposed to damn them to hell, give them up, ruin any photographs that we had of them, burn them. My parents kept them so I could still look at photographs and remember those times in our lives that have been, like, super happy and just kind of hold on to those memories while living in a world that told you that you had to shun and forget and excommunicate, ostracise your family. Two years later, her older brother Sam turned her world on its head again. He missed her too. And he was very depressed. And we all found it really hard, but he took it the hardest. And then two years after she left, he decided that he couldn't take it anymore and so again woke up in the morning and there was a note left I'm sorry I can't do this anymore I love you and he was gone too I was super close to Sam he's a really loving young man um, he's a very empathetic person and you know, it was kind of like the second blow because one had gone and now two. And so then I was the eldest in our family after that. I remember going up to the sewing room like the day after and just feeling like I'd literally just attended a funeral. Everything was surreal. My cousin Anna was there and she came up and hugged me. And she said, I'm so sorry. But, you know, you can just see the looks from other women who know what's happened. And you kind of think, okay, I'm going to have to try and get on with my life. And try and come to terms with this loss. So, like, your heart's breaking on the inside. And you're suffering the humiliation because one of your family's members has defied the church 
and left. And now two. It wasn't long after this that Lilia witnessed something she'd never seen before. It was a man who was going around telling people that they couldn't grieve their family members who'd left because people were upset when family members left. You'd cry and it hurts a lot. You know, it's painful losing people you love. And he was going around telling them, you can't grieve, you have to give them over to Satan. And then my mother stood up to him and defied him and said, your wife is allowed to grieve her dead father that has gone to be with the Lord in heaven. And you tell me that I'm not allowed to grieve for my children who are given over to Satan and who are as good as dead to me. I'll grieve if I care to. And that was the first time I saw a woman really stand up to a man. And I thought, that's a bit different. So maybe I would like to be like my mum. <laughs> because I thought she was doing what was right. With her older sister and brother gone, Lilia felt desperate to reassure her parents that she wasn't going to break their hearts as well, and she decided there was one sure way to prove it. The commitment there is giving up your life to the church. So it's like being married to the church. Your life is no longer your own. It belongs to the church to do with as they will. Sign your life away. And I knew that if I did this, it would bring some sense of respect back to my family and it would help with the shame that my mother and father were feeling and that I was feeling. And so when I was 15 years old, I went to my grandfather and I told him that I was ready to make my commitment. I went before a leaders meeting so they would test me and ask me questions to make sure that I was actually prepared to do this. Then they asked me if I would be willing to make my commitment for national TV because there was a TV program that was coming in to film. So I made my commitment and Sunday program was actually there to film it. I met Janet McIntyre. She was the reporter that came in and did the story on Glorvale. And she asked me this interesting question. She said, you know, what if a girl did want to have a career? And I just said to her, well, we don't have any women like that here. We don't have women who want careers. But when she asked it to me, it kind of opened my mind. I thought, so women can have careers. And that was quite an interesting concept for me to wrap my head around. After committing to the church, she hoped her family could find its footing in the community again. But two years later, when she was 17, her 15-year-old brother Vic began to show signs of rebellion. Vic's like wearing his pants too low, he slicks his hair up a bit too worldly and the leaders don't like it. He has his hair cut too short, he'd been cutting his own hair and you know, he was rolling his sleeves up as well, he liked wearing sunglasses, he liked worldly music, he was not your ideal Gloria Vale teenager and so because he had his pants riding too low on his hip, my grandfather came along and said, well, if you're not going to submit to the church, we'll force you to do it. So they took all of his clothes from him and sewed his trousers and his shirt together so the trousers could only sit at a certain place on his hips. And it was like a one piece. Then they gave all his clothes back to him and they'd all been sewn together. It looked so uncomfortable. He goes straight to mum's sewing kit, gets out the stitch ripper and just rips all the stitches off. I'm not going to wear those, he says. 
I'll do what I like. They can't tell me what to do. So that was what he was struggling with. I believe he told my parents that he was going to leave. And it was a really great thing, to be honest, because at that point, my parents were like, we are not losing another child. And we have to do something differently. So they went to the leaders and they said, look, we've got another boy who's leaving. And we think it's actually going to be healthier for him and for our family if we can oversee this process and if we can still maintain a good relationship with him to bring him back into the church and to help him through what is a, you know, probably just a teenage rebel phase. Surprisingly, the leaders agreed, and the family went to live in a house in a township called Moana, about 40 minutes' drive away. They returned to Gloria Vale every day for school and work and worship. Her lost siblings, Sarah and Sam, came to live with them too. It was the first time she'd seen them in years. So we were here in our Gloria Vale dresses, our blue uniforms, the headscarf, and there were there were my family eating dinner with us, you know, my rebel siblings who dressed in like M&M t-shirts and you know, by this point Vic has left and he's wearing, you know, he's got his pierced ear, he's wearing a chain around his neck, he's wearing like low riding pants, he's listening to worldly music with headphones, like he's a full on normal worldly teenage kid. And here I am, a girl who has submitted to Gloria Vale, wearing her headscarf, wearing her blue dress that goes down to her ankles, and returning to serve the church each day. It was nice being back together as a family. I remember this one night we'd had family dinner and I was washing dishes with mum and I just looked at her and I said, this feels good. We feel like a family again. She said, yeah, we're starting to heal. We started having more exposure to what it was like to live together as a family and to have the ability to make our own choices. And family had become quite important to us again. And more and more I began to question what the leaders were teaching us. I began to question the amount of control. Like I was growing up into a young woman that even having been suppressed all these years, I could still see things with my eyes and know that they were wrong. And I started to ask a lot of questions about how the leaders interpreted the Bible. Why did we do this? Why did we do that? Why did we all have to dress the same? Why did we have to all stay in one geographical location? Why is there only 500 people in the world that are enlightened and serve the one true God? Because there's a big, big world out here. And so all these questions that the leaders had no answers, not real answers, not answers that satisfied my curiosity. And so I slowly began to break out of this closed mindset and started to open my mind to new possibilities of perhaps, maybe, we could live on the outside of Gloraval and I wouldn't be sent to hell for it. A lot of people are asking now, just which way will you go? A lot of people are answering, there's just no way to know. Now we're on to the next bar. And it all came to a head when my very best friend Grace came to me in tears. She was devastated and she told me, the leaders have told me that I have to marry this boy called Christian. I don't love him. We're not a good match. He doesn't want to marry me. And she said, I cannot do this. So she packed her bags, hidden them out under a big old tree that stood outside Gloria Vale. And she'd called a friend on the outside of Gloria Vale to come pick her up. But she'd been discovered by one of these girls who was overseeing the office at the time. 
And so she'd been taken before the men's meeting. They'd told her to repent of her sins, to confess that Gloravale was the one true church. And she said to them, well, I don't want to say that because it's not the truth. And the leader had said to her, well, it's okay if it's lying because you're doing it for the church. So she'd been told she had to marry this bloke and she did not want to. And she was crying and crying. She said, I can't do this anymore. And I just remember standing there looking at her and I loved this girl with all my heart. And she said to me, I'm leaving. And I knew that it was the right thing for her to do. And I just took her in my arms and hugged her and her body was shaking with sobs. And I said to her, you do what is right for you. And then she left. Running home on broken legs, we turned it out. I'm heading south, would you go with me if I begged? And in giving her my permission to leave, I gave myself permission. Because if I knew it was right for her to do what's right for her, then it's right for me to do what's right for me. And what was right for me was to go with my family. So I went to my parents, I said, if you leave, I will go with you. Lilia was 18 when her parents decided it was time to take their family and leave Gloria Vale for good. So my parents came to me and said, we're going to go to the leaders and ask them for permission to leave because we would like to have their blessing, which is a big ask because leaders do not give their blessing for people to leave Gloria Vale. So it was a Sunday we went back into Gloria Vale for the day, except for mum and the baby, because mum was preparing the things for us to leave. She was packing. And then after the lunchtime, I took the kids to the room. The kids being Lilia's younger brothers and sisters. Dad said, stay here with them, keep an eye on them, be ready to go at a moment's notice. So he goes into the leaders meeting to ask for permission and it's a long time like I think he was in there for a couple of hours and I'm getting nervous I'm feeling anxious and I don't know what's happening so I walk out across the bridge from the hostel towards the main complex and then I see my dad coming towards me and he's got a hanky and he's blowing his nose and his eyes are puffy and red and I realize that my dad is crying and I have never seen this man cry in my entire life and I knew then that it wasn't good and I knew the leaders hadn't given permission. And so then I ran to him and I said, well, what, what's happening? Like, what do we do? And he said, you get the kids and you put them in the car straight away. I run back to our room in the hostel. I say, get your things. We're going. I pack them all in the car, strap them into their seats. And then I say to Dad, I've just got like one more thing to do. And I run back to my cousin's room, which was just beside mine. And there are about five or six of them around the bed. And they were fussing over this lingerie. Because my cousin was getting married to a boy she actually really liked. So I was super happy with her. And I loved her with all of my heart. Her name was Serena. Um, she was marrying a boy called Faithful. And I had to go. And I couldn't tell them that I was leaving. So... I just kind of looked at the lingerie on the bed and said, oh, that's lovely, you know, that'll be great for your wedding. And then they could tell something was off, and I think it was Joe that said to me, are you okay? And I just kind of hugged them all. I said, oh, yeah, we've just got to go back to Moana for the day, like, we'll be back. Um, I hugged them all. 
and just said, I love you so much. And then I jumped in the van and we drove away. And I was looking back at this place that had been 18 years of my life with all the people that I loved and everything I'd ever known. And I thought it would be the last, this is the last time I'll ever see this place again. The family left almost immediately for Christchurch, a three and a half hour drive from one side of the South Island to the other. On the way to Christchurch, the car breaks down. Mum freaks out, like she's like, oh my God, God has cursed us. We shouldn't have left. Dad's like, don't be silly woman. And I'm sitting here thinking, are there people from Gloryvale coming to get us? Are there people chasing us? Like, will they come and force us to go back? And I'm scared out of my wits and I'm giving my little siblings like biscuits and fruit to keep them happy. And then we're driving into Christchurch and the land is barren. Like there's no green grass. I grew up in lush forest on the west coast and I'm like, oh, what have we come to? And then we come across to the little town of Akaroa, seaside town. It's quite cosy and I liked that. I thought, okay, maybe it isn't so bad after all. So we stayed in the house for two weeks in Akaroa. It was pretty much belonged to a family, it was a batch, and they gifted it to us for a couple of weeks to stay. Then the kids, you know, we needed to find a school, we needed to integrate into this crazy new world. So we moved into a two-bedroom house on Wilson's Road in Christchurch. Um, tiny little property. You know, but for us to have a house was pretty cool after kind of living in a room your whole life. So um, we stayed there and the kids started going to school and then I started to think, what do I do with my life? That was eight years ago. Lilia is now 26 and a lot has happened since then. So there were lots of firsts. Learning how to dress myself in a world that dressed completely differently to me. Learning about wearing makeup. But having to come to terms that it was okay for me to wear makeup first that it was okay for me to wear pants if I wanted to, that it was okay for me to cut my hair or dye my hair if I wanted to, that it was actually okay for me to not wear a head covering. And I was still a Christian at the time, I still believed in a God, and I didn't want to be displeasing him. And so I had to take it very slowly in terms of step by step what was and wasn't okay for me to do, and there was a lot of trial and error. Wearing trousers for the first time was an eye-opener oh my gosh, like I have curves in places I didn't know I have curves and I can see my legs now, which is quite weird. Um, I have legs <laughs> after wearing a skirt your whole life. The first time I ever wore a pair of jeans though, I was like, they were skinny jeans and I was like, these are so uncomfortable. I was determined that I was going to fit in to this new world. It was pretty scary like telling people about my story uh, telling people who I was and where I'd come from. People called Gloryville a funny farm. As a teenage kid coming out trying to integrate into a society, it's really hard when you get those mocking comments from people. She weathered it. And these days, Lilia lives a life she could never have dreamed of in Gloryville. Although she's the first to say that the community is not all bad. There's always benefits to, to that way of life as well. In Gloryvale, you care for nothing but your, say, 
personal relationship with God, your religious beliefs, and your role in the community, I didn't have to think about feeding myself, or paying my rent, or buying clothes, because it was all provided for me by the community. The best things are the way that they live in community, they work together as a team, they understand what it takes to succeed in business, they give a good childhood, aside from the fact that, you know, I disagree with the way that children are disciplined, I did have a happy childhood. But in the end, those things didn't outweigh the joy of choosing her own destiny. I felt guilty about leaving my cousins and hurting them. But we only get one life. And I would hate to have lived the rest of my life in Gloria Vale, suppressing the woman that I was created to become. I do not call myself a Christian. I'm single. (laughs) I'm single and I, at this age, I would not be single if I was in Gloria Vale. Um, I own a business, I'm a business owner, in Gloryville that would never have been a possibility for me. A traveller, like I would never have been able to travel in Gloryville. I've travelled to Bali, Indonesia quite a few times, America, I'm really looking forward to going to Europe, hopefully next year. I um, am a public speaker, so I present seminars and I talk at events and that is something, as a woman in Gloryville, your job is to zip the lip, sit down and listen, don't question the authority of men, don't have an opinion of your own. I am a feminist. I believe in equality. And there's also her Māori heritage. I know a lot more about being a Māori than I did in Gloryville and that's pretty damn cool seeing that Gloryville told me that I had to let go of that part of my identity and strip it away. I changed my name from Just back to Tarawa and we weren't allowed middle names in Gloryville but I wanted to choose something that I felt like who I felt I was on the inside. So I chose a new name for myself and today my name is Lilia Tiaroha Maya Tarawa. So Tiaroha Maya means the great love and it's in Māori and it's a piece of who I am. I feel the name is really appropriate as someone who just wants to give love, bring joy and bring happiness and it's Māori which is strengthening for me because I am a Māori. I'm part of the tribe of Natahu, uh, that is my iwi, um, my marae is in Tuahiwi, and I'm very proud to let people know that that's who I am. Wow, a big thank you to Lilia for sharing your story with the lip. Lilia recently wrote a memoir of her life in Gloria Vale, how she left and her life since. It's called Daughter of Gloria Vale and it includes much, much more than what has been covered in this podcast episode. The front cover shows her as a girl in her blue smock and white head covering, smiling for the camera. The back cover shows her being baptised in the river by two leaders of the community. And what's in between those covers? Well, it's a riveting read. There are details about the book on our website, thelippodcast.kiwi, and also a link to the ebook edition. Before I wrap this episode up, I want to thank a few more people for supporting The Lip. Here's a shout out to Wamley Springford, Andrea Hill, Megan Granger, Jenny Jackson, Alba Letts, Mel Love, Megan Kenahan, Sarah McIntosh, and Julie Latham. Thanks, guys. 
And if you've been shouting out about us and I haven't named you, please be assured I really, really do appreciate it. And if you've been listening and want to show your support, feel free to follow us on Facebook, leave a review, or maybe send a link of your favourite episode to a friend. And on that note, just a quick heads up. The lip is now going on hiatus for a wee while. We need to get some more stories in the bag. If you subscribe to the podcast or follow us on Facebook, you'll know exactly when we're back early next year. Really looking forward to seeing you then. Calling it quits think this is easy I swear I heard Calling the jury Call it a catch Without any strings attached I'm looking for A soft place to lay The forest floor The palms of your hands to